I typically would um, have you stand now for the reading of God's Word, but we're going to be kind of doing a Philippians recap this morning uh, as, we, as we button up this, this uh, series and this letter. And so uh, there's not one particular verse or passage we're going to be in, and so I'm not going to do that, but um, I will uh, invite you just to pray with me the same prayer that we pray each week. Uh, Father, this morning, um, as we open your word and as we look to your word, uh, we, we believe in its power, and so um, what we know not, would you teach us? Um, what we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us uh, for your glory? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, so let's just wrap. Let's, we're we're going to wrap. We're going to wrap up Philippians this morning, and then we're going to do two weeks, uh, sort of just uh, kind of bridging the summer and the fall uh, on uh, a couple different uh, topics, and then we're going to go Old Testament. And so we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament this fall. Uh, which I'm looking forward to. I'm not going to give that away quite yet, mainly because I don't have the exact details yet, uh, but we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. So um, the, the goal this morning is to sort of do a, a, a bit of a recap on Philippians, just to um, solidify what we've learned over the past several months, and, um, and so that's what we're going to do. Uh, let me just kind of give the context briefly again. Again, if, if you've been here for the last four or five months, you've heard this several times, but let me, just, let me just give it to you again so you can have this idea in your head as we kind of recap this letter. Uh, so Paul here, he was, he was headed to, to retrace uh, his first journey with Timothy and Silas when the Holy Spirit uh, actually moved them to not uh, do that, to not go back to Ephesus, but rather to head north. Um, and it appears as though the Holy Spirit was sort of leading them to un- unevangelized locations is why he was moving them to not go back to Ephesus. Um, and so they heed, they heed this direction from the Holy Spirit. They, li- they actually listened to the Holy Spirit, and they, and they head to Bithynia. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, again, kind of checked them and, and said, no, that, that's actually not where I want you to go still. Uh, finally, they moved towards Troas uh, in what was called the mouth of the Dardanelles Straits, uh, which is the gateway to Europe. And so Paul had this, at this moment, had this vision of this man standing in front of him from Macedonia who was calling him to come. And so they crossed to Neapolis. They walked about nine, 10 miles along the Ignatian Way and ended up in Philippi. That's how they ended up there. Um, and when I was recapping even like that this week, um, I had this thought, and I just want to ask you the question, and I want for you to consider this, and maybe even for the duration of the morning, um, to consider this, like, do, do you, this is a really, it sounds very elementary, but it's like, do you listen to God? Like, I mean, do you, do you take time to listen to God? Do you, do you ever take time not, not to like read or study or pray to God, but just listen for him, right? Or from him. More often than not, what gets us into trouble and what causes us to move and maybe live outside of God's will for our lives is that we talk too much and we don't listen enough. Consider almost every single story in the scriptures where sin creeps in or enters in and and is most destructive. It's generally the result of a person choosing their own their own way forward or their own path, and God's saying, if you had just listened to me, like, you would not have ended up here. The, the Apostle Paul 
ended up in Philippi planting this church because he just he listened to God. He, he stopped, and he, of course, he had this vision, but then he responded to that vision, to that voice, to that, to that word from God. For the first time at this point, Christians were on the ground in Europe to bring the gospel. Um, he found a little house church of God-fearing Gentiles next to a river, he being Paul, um, primarily made up of women who were just gathering to pray. Um, and this was their, their first contact with, with Gentiles worshiping the God of Israel. And Paul had really important news for them, namely the gospel. And so conversions were happening right and left, and Paul and his crew were not only received by them, but uh, they were welcomed in, in, into this, this small little, uh, little river community of believers. And, um, and, and Philippi, the church, grew and flourished, tiny but mighty uh, in many ways. So if you fast forward 10 years uh, to the year around 62 AD, Paul was most likely in prison in Rome. He was writing this letter to send back with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had brought gifts and other things to Paul while he was in jail. And so that's, that's the context of sort of the events kind of surrounding this. Uh, the, the founding of, the planting of, the starting of the church, and then Paul sending back this, this letter with Epaphroditus just to encourage the Christians in, in Philippi. Um, really just this small church just asking for spiritual leadership and Paul in prison, unable to provide much leadership outside of this letter. And in this letter, he chooses wisely to point them for the entirety of this letter to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. He essentially is like, hey, I can't, I can't be with you, but I'll tell you somebody who can be with you and who is with you, and I, I just want to point you to him. I want to point you to him for, this, for, for the entirety of this letter. And so that's what Paul does. Um, Jesus Christ is the center of the letter to the Philippians. And I want us to see that this morning. Paul references Christ, his work, his example, and the relationship that we can have with him 51 times in 104 verses. 51 times in 104 verses. He references Jesus Christ, his work, his example, and the relationship that you can have with him. 51 times in 104 verses. And so this morning, I just want to wrap up this series by doing one thing, the same thing that Paul did. I just want to make much of Jesus um, by looking at four recurring themes in Philippians. I'm going to give them to you right now. One, friendship with Christ, unity with Christ, suffering with Christ, and eternity with Christ. Friendship, unity, suffering, and eternity. Firstly, friendship with Christ. We see this theme as Paul references um, knowing Christ in verse uh, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, and chapter 4, verse 9. In chapter 3, he says things like, I count everything as loss, I count everything as loss, or I count everything as less, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Okay? Or later in chapter 4, he reminds the Philippians that the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Where does Paul get this idea that, like, we can know him and that he is with us? Where does he get this idea? Well, he gets it from Jesus himself, because Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Right? From, the, from the mouth of Jesus, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
And so Jesus himself calls us friends. It's one area that, or one place that Paul would have gotten this idea that like we can know God and we can befriend him and he is with us. James, the brother of Jesus, would reference Abraham being a friend of God only after Abraham believed God in what God had said and what God had promised. It was almost like God saying to Abraham, like, friends, trust each other. Do you trust me? Okay, I'm going to be with you. Do you, do you trust me in what I'm going to call you to do? Um, A.W. Tozer, he wrote, no man with a trace of humility would first think that he is a friend of God. But the idea did not originate with men. Abraham would have never said, I am God's friend. But God himself said that Abraham was his. Paul wants the Philippians to know this. Paul really wants the Philippians to know this, and I want for you to know this, that, that even though I cannot be with you, okay, at times, whoever that may be for you. I need for you to believe this, that Jesus Christ is with you. He is your friend. You can know him, Christian. You might call this the, uh, the, the be with factor that, that God has, has blessed us with, that, he's, that he promises to, to be with us. Do you believe that God is with you or do you not believe that? Because if you believe it, then everything changes, does it not? Everything changes. Going back to how Paul says it, I count everything else as less. Like many of the relationships that you have even now, that I have even now, fall into the same category, do they not? Like knowing my wife, knowing my kids, knowing my closest friends, and knowing you, church, like is far more valuable and prized to me than anything you could ever offer me or give to me, just knowing you. Everything else I count as loss compared to the surpassing worth of just knowing you. As an image bearer of God. This week we took the kids to Chicago for one last little summer getaway, which by the way, I mean, I've been there before, but I'll say it again. Unbelievable city. Would you agree? Have you, yeah, it's just incredible. We, I love it. I mean, we, we made the mistake of actually not um, spending like an entire day on the beach because those beaches are incredible. Went to the North Avenue Beach for like a few hours, a couple hours before we left on the last day, whatever that was. was thir Thursday, yes. And you look back at the city and then you have Lake Michigan, which we love, but it's actually warmer than where we're used to going. And so the kids were in the water a bit, and the beach was beautiful, and it was kind of quiet, and it was just like, man, we, we really blew it. We should have spent the entire, an, an entire day here at the beach. Um, and as I was wa walking down Michigan Avenue, we did some shopping, um, marveling again at the building and just the, the, the architecture and the city itself. I found myself thinking, only because of who I am with is this wonderful. That's it. Only because of who I am walking with is this wonderful. Because if I wasn't with them, I'd be calling them like, you, I wish you were here with me to see this and to experience this. Only because of who Paul was with was he able to live in such a liberated way. He so believed in the presence of Jesus Christ in his life that, that he was with him. 
And he found so much joy in that. And he wanted the Philippians to find so much joy in the same. In chapter 3, verse 12, Paul uh, captures friendship with Christ again and saying, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Stop to think about those statements. If you are a Christian, Christ Jesus has made you his own. He has made friendship with him possible. So that's one theme we see, is just friendship with Christ that Paul wants for them to, to believe is possible. Secondly, because of our friendship with Christ and because he has made us his own, we are united to him, unity with Christ. We see this in chapter 127 and chapter 2, 1. This is sort of like next level connection to and communion with, with Christ as it means there's, there's nothing that can break that union. There's nothing that can break that union. Um, my kids were at, were at uh, church camp. Uh, s- several of our kids uh, here were at church camp a week, week and a half ago. Uh, and my kids got home and they were talking about the week and they were showing me their notes from the teachings uh, that they sat in and they were copious notes. And I was just like, I hope, I would assume you take the same, the same level of notes when I'm preaching, correct? Um, right? Yeah, he's got his pen out. That's good. Yeah, he's got it going. Um, and w- one of the ideas that I, I, was, I was actually like really struck by as well, um, one particular teaching that sort of blew their mind is when the speaker said that God cannot stop loving you because he never started loving you. Like he has always loved you. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? It wasn't like this one moment where he was like, I'm going to start loving you now. Right? He's, he, he knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. So he's always loved you, right? He has always loved you. The same is true with your union with him and with one another. Your union cannot be broken because it is the love of God that keeps you united to him and to one another. That union cannot be broken. Paul wrote in chapter 1, again, verse 27, that he desires to hear that they are standing firm in one spirit. Later in chapter 2, he writes, If there is any encouragement in Christ... Complete my joy by being of one mind. And so one spirit, the spirit of Christ, one mind, the mind of Christ. Charles Hodge was a 19th century principal at Princeton Seminary. He wrote, the church is always, always, always represented as one. It is one body, one family, one fold, one kingdom. And he goes on to explain why it's one or how it's one. It is one because it is pervaded by one spirit. Spirit of Christ. Sometimes you like to stray from your preferred translation. So my, my preferred translation is, is ESV, um, but the NIV, I think, actually captures this maybe even a little bit better, whereas the ESV says, um, if there is any encouragement in Christ, uh, the NIV says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one one in spirit and one of mind. So we don't know. Like, we don't know what's going on here. The Church of Philippi may have been struggling a bit to stay united, which is why they requested some extra leadership, some reinforcements, possibly one of the issues they were dealing with. And Paul believed this, that the only source of true unity, he's, he's like, okay, obviously, clearly I cannot come. No, I'm not sending Timothy. I know you want to exchange Epaphroditus for Timothy. Not doing that either. Um, but here's what I have for you, something even better. 
the only source of true unity comes through Christ holding you together. That has to be. That has to be it. You want unity? Christ. And he does so by holding up this idea, Paul does, that our ultimate satisfaction, Philippians, must, must be in Christ. He says, um, um, it's, it's that like rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's, he's showing them that when you take Jesus out of the church, you no longer have anything strong enough to hold it together. That's what he's doing here. Can I say that again? When you take Jesus out of the church, you no longer have anything strong enough to hold it together. Anything. Seriously, try it. Look at it historically. Between 1950 and 2018, uh, mainline churches declined by nearly 80%. Okay, from 1950 to 2018. Um, Those would be like massive denominations uh, and churches that are on on street corners all throughout Brentwood and St. Louis in the country, okay? You see them all over the place. Um, it's actually one of the ways that we were able to buy this building, okay? Because there was a, there was a mainline church that, that, that didn't make it, okay? Um, and these churches in the 1960s and 1970s chose to primarily begin to push personal and political and social agendas over staying committed to, see, to seeing the power of God work through his spirit and his truth. They shifted. At the same time, the evangelical megachurch movement that exploded with guys like uh, Bill Hybels and um, Rick Warren and, and others during those years, these churches, that movement was <clears throat> built on the premise that we can somehow make the gospel more relevant through entertaining seekers and saints, that movement has also in recent years seen a decline because there's a little phrase like, what you win people with, you win them to. What you win people with, you win them to. And to sustain that sort of entertainment culture that we're seeing in the megachurch movement sort of decline, to sustain that is not only expensive and exhausting, but it also holds something else up as ultimate, namely that the church is an experience more than a people that are united to Christ. And so what has proven to be the only thing strong enough to keep the church healthy and unified decade after decade after decade after decade for 2,000 years, as Paul says to the Corinthians, this is the only thing we preach Christ crucified. Or as Paul says to Timothy, my son, preach the word in full power, trusting for it to be relevant and sufficient. I've been asked over the years our position on pretty much any and every political, social, theological, doctrinal, biblical, ecclesiological, or any other all you can think of. And my response nearly always pulls the conversation back to one all, because I rarely get asked about our Christological position. Do you preach the power of Christ to transform hearts and trust that it will? We are called to unity in that, not uniformity. And so while I have 
political and social positions and opinions. An elder may have differing ones, and you may have another. And the question that we need to answer is, if we are seeking answers in the word of God, being led by his spirit, is that enough? Can we experience union in Christ still? Yes. Yes, we can. Because the table that we are invited to is one that Christ has set. It's his unity, and it says that it's his love for us that has the power to build a church made up of sinners saved by grace. Paul wanted every church he planted to maintain that laser focus. Unity in Christ. Next, as we find union in Christ and with one another, as we begin to wrap up, uh, we can and we also will suffer with Christ and with one another. And so suffering with Christ is another theme we see in Philippians. Paul says, for his, his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's been said that Philippians is a letter about joy that grows, I love this, that the joy that grows in the seedbed of suffering. The letter opens with Paul's imprisonment and closes with a reminder that he's still in prison. In the midst of this, Paul reminds the Philippians that their joy is not dependent on their circumstances. Suffering is always an opportunity to commune with Christ all the more. I've asked it many times, when is the last time you grew in any area of life apart from discomfort, challenge, struggle, or suffering? It's when you grow. Paul sees it, suffering as an open door for sharing the gospel, for empowering others in the church, and to lead you to look to God for provision in your life. It really is. Like we've said this, it was so maddening and frustrating for the authorities of his day because they couldn't figure out what to do with the guy. They're like, we're going to put you to death. And he's like, you know, uh, to die is gain. Okay, we're going to put you in prison. That's fine. I'm just going to convert all the guards. Like they just said, you know, it's, I'm fine with that too. Whatever. While there, so, while there was so much to be thankful for in this small church that had, that had grown and been planted, there was also so much to lament. I mean, the church was shaken by Paul's imprisonment. Paul's reputation was being assaulted. His conditions were poor. His mission seemed to be coming to an end. The uncertainties of suffering would have hit the congregation really hard as Epaphroditus would have been reading this letter. And some of those same uncertainties, sickness, and struggles have made their way into our own lives. Every row and every pew in every church have seen similar kinds of suffering. And Paul would say to us today, just as he said to them, um, trust God with your burdens. Trust God with your burdens. And he will show himself to be faithful every time. Paul knew Jesus' call to come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
It's the be with factor. He will be with you. He'll give you rest. And Paul really trusted it. And finally, uh, the fourth theme we see is this, uh, just eternity with Christ. Eternity with Christ. Paul's final words um, were eternal words. We looked at this last week. Glory to God forever and ever. That like repetition would be like trying to help you understand like ever and ever and ever, forever and ever. Let me just ask you this. Like, do you think any of this would have been possible for Paul to write if he had a temporal perspective? Any of it? We tend to live from one moment to the next, but Christ, if he is trusted and believed for what he says, invites us into a grander story, a grander narrative, a grander future, a heavenly and perfect eternity where all things on earth will not be obliterated, but will be made new. But only because, only because of Christ and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. Our eternity, I want you to hear this, our eternity with God is dependent on our union with him. C.S. Lewis writes, once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? And so that's Philippians recapped. Jesus really, it's been said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Friendship with him, union with him, suffering with him, and ultimately eternity with him. Thanks be to God for that too. All right, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this letter that Paul penned 2,000 years ago that still speaks and preaches today. We thank you for your word. We really do. We don't, that's not a, a hollow sentiment. We, we thank you for your word and for the promises that we find in it. I would just ask that I can stand up here and preach week after week after week, but apart from your Holy Spirit taking this word and making it real and making it alive and making it active and making it impactful and making it transformational in the hearts and the minds of the people and myself. We are, we are lost and alone. We need your spirit to seal it. And so would you increasingly make us a people of the word that are also dependent on your spirit, that we might be filled with truth about who you are, what your plans are, and how we might respond to those plans. We thank you for your care for us and your people. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen.